Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning. Welcome to Score Values on 670 The Score. I'm Adam Staczynski. Coming up on this week's show, we speak with Marillac St. Vincent Family Services about them re-releasing a film called A Doula Story. Plus, we hear from a Chicago sports historian about the significance of the Bears hiring a black man as their team president. And we are joined now on Score Values by Maureen Halligan. She's the Executive Vice President of External Affairs at Marillac St. Vincent Family Services. Maureen, thank you so much for being on this morning. Well, thank you very much for having me. Of course. So I always like to start out because I, I know that some people might not be familiar with Marillac St. Vincent. So if you could just give us a quick overview of, of what Marillac St. Vincent does. Okay, sure. Marillac St. Vincent has been um, serving the city of Chicago for over 100 years. We have two locations. One is on the north side and one is in, um, on the west side. Miralek, um is on the west side and St. Vincent's is on the north side. And we serve really uh, our programs range from prenatally through to senior citizens, with the largest being our um, early childhood and youth programs. But we also have a food pantry uh, at both centers, and we have um, a lot of wraparound services that we offer our families and the participants in our programs. Um, so we serve probably uh, about 50, maybe 1,200 children and teens um, a year, and then we also have um, different programs where people come either for one time for help or that they're participating on a regular basis. And so we're going to be specifically talking about something that is happening within one of your projects, we've, which we've talked about on Score Values before. That's Project Hope. And specifically, this re-release of, it's called A Doula Story, if I pronounce that right. That's right. That's okay, right. great. And, and so why don't you go ahead and just tell us about what this is? Okay, it's really exciting. I, I I should have checked this before I came on, but I think it was start, we, it was starting. Um, the filming took a couple years, but I think it was about thirteen or fourteen years ago. Um, it was uh, what it does is it follows Adula. Adula is a birth assistant, mm-hmm. and um, she does way more than that. But that's basically what um, the, what it means. And so this this video was really a labor of love. It fouled Theresa Weisinger, our uh, doula extraordinaire, um, around and 
while she was working with five young women. And it was went through all of the different kinds of issues that come up during a pregnancy with not only with just uh, physical, emotional, and uh, um, but also relationships and that kind of stuff. So it's it's really a well done. Um, it was done by the Kindling Group with Danny Albert, and they did um, were able to really capture the importance of that building that trust in that relationship with the young mom and her family in order to have. Um, and Larissa was very much into the, she nurtured the mom so the mom could nurture the child. And um, also working with the fathers of the, of the child. And if the, if the father doesn't necessarily stay involved with the mother, if he's been at the birth, it, we have seen that that really makes a difference in the relationship between the child and the father. Hmm. And then also she works with the extended family. Um, so this film follows, you know, in, in on, the east, on the west side of Chicago, and it follows these five mothers and, and their children and, and, and how they prepared for their birth and then how they um, work with um, the relationship on nurturing the baby and building the uh, strong bond between the parent and child. And it really demonstrates how important that is. And prior to us starting the doula program, which is about 27 years old, when Project Hope is about 40, um, mm. prior to that, we had a lot of young moms that would go to the hospital in the emergency room to give birth, and they wouldn't have a birth plan uh, and so they would just go in and they would just be whatever happened would would happen. And in this situation now with the doula, they were able to, you know, pick a, a hospital they were going to go to, figure out how they were going to get there and figure out how they were going to um, what kind of birth they wanted. And it just it is really demonstrated very well in in the film how many how um, empowering it is to know how to ask a question at the doctor's office for your own prenatal health and also, you know, what to expect when having the, the child. Um, so I, I, we're really excited about uh, relaunching it. Um, unfortunately, uh, Larissa, who was a doula for 25 years with us, she was one of the, our, she was the first doula. Mm. Um, she passed away this year, so it's kind of also her legacy and um, we all of the all of the babies that she was at the hospital, you know, in helping with the delivery. So um, it it has stand it has really stood the test of time, and it really is um, really well done. And we're really excited to be able to share it again with all people that haven't seen it. Um, when it first came out, it was premiered at the um, Harris Theater, and um, the the um, Ounce of Prevention, Health Connect One, and um, the Irving Harris Foundation were, along with us, were very instrumental in bringing the doula program to um, to teen moms. And then now it is across the country. There are doulas across the country since this program has been started. And so, we specifically work with teen families. I'm sorry. Oh uh, no, that's fine. My my the follow up here would be uh, if people want to want to view this because I know that there's a it's going to be available between Sunday today and yeah. and the end of the week. The twenty eighth. Yes. So how can people mm-hmm. view it? So you can view it by just going into register, and you go to Marillac St. Vincent, which is M A R I L L A C. St. Vincent, S-T-V-I-N-C-E-N-T dot org 
slash events. Okay. Great. And uh, something that I wanted to, to ask too that you were talking about there is is the importance of of when you have a duo creating a birth plan. So why is why is that important versus a plan of just go to the hospital and and hope for the best? It's really important because first of all, it it, it empowers the the young mom and her family to make decisions. You know, when you when you haven't thought through a plan, um, even if the plan changes because of whatever's going on with the birth, um, you end up having things done to you or just somebody else taking the control of your birth. And um, this this time of pregnancy is such a uh, great opportunity for learning and for um, just talking about experiences. And I think the plan, being confident that you know where you're going to go and deliver, who your doctor or who the, at least the, the group of doctors are that are going to deliver, and also be familiar with the hospital where you're going to deliver. It's it just it just makes for a much smoother, gentler um, birth, and I also think it also makes um, the, the young person, uh, the young woman understand that she does have say in her um, her health, and, and, you know, that is why it is really important to be able to, to participate in that and not just be told what to do. We're talking with Maureen Halligan. She's the Executive Vice President of External Affairs at Marillac St. Vincent. This is Score Values on 670 The Score. So, Maureen, why did you feel it was important to re-release this this film now? Well, actually, um, the, the, the issues around maternal and child health over the decades have not changed, you know, there's still very um, issues with maternal deaths and maternal maternal morbidity. And we're in an area in where the program is located in East Garfield Park, where even though we have not had a low birth weight baby in, in decades, nor have we lost a, a mom we still have one of the highest rates of infant mortality and um, maternal morbidity in our community that we're working in. Hmm. Um, and so those, you know, we kind of, those issues are still very, particularly in the black and brown communities. Um, it's uh, in Chicago, the maternal deaths are, um, are um, twice the national average. And this is really something considering Miralac is located five minutes, ten minutes from some of the finest hospitals, you know, in the hospital mm-hmm. district. And and to have this issue still be with this health, um, this health inequity, you know, or what kind of um, uh, services and resources are available to people is is very hard to understand when there's so been so many. Um, gains in you know health and when and that type of thing. So right now, I think we really wanted to call attention again that there are things that are working and that people do need resources and they need support and places to feel comfortable to ask questions and to figure out what's best for them. And I and I think that's one of the reasons we are re-releasing it, um, because it seems like it's a time where things are 
are not necessarily getting better in in our city and, mm. and across the country. Can you think of any reason why that might be the case that Chicago has is the maternal death rate is is twice that of the national average? Because you know we talk about here pro- things like Project Hope and and access to services is it is it lack of education about these services that are available or can you think of any reason there I think there's a couple reasons. Um, some of it is lack of knowledge of what the resources are, but I also think that um, there, you know, sometimes it's sometimes getting what the services you need is is difficult because there's so many things that you got to go through to get it. Mm. And I think that that you know sometimes people are just like ending up in the emergency room. And, you know, and then delivering at that particular hospital. But I also think it it is a lot of, um, it's a big social justice issue. And um, listening to women from um, the black and brown communities about what they know is going on in their bodies and what they know is something that's, you know, um, not not right or something during the pregnancy. And sometimes Mm. they aren't listened to as much as, as, uh, Maybe the, uh, the, their white counterpart who is it, you know, get it receiving medical services. Um, but I, I, I do think that, um, you know, hospitals are looking for ways to to be able to build trust in the communities, uh, you know, with uh, over healthcare issues. But there still is a lot of um, mistrust and um, also decisions making, you know, of of getting the care you need or not having the financial um, means to do it or uh, not having the right insurance. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of those kinds of issues still around health equity. So Maureen, the last thing I I guess I want to ask you would be just if you want to talk a little bit about what Project Hope is for those that might have missed our, our conversation that we had last year about it. Uh, What is Project Hope and, and, how can people get involved with it if if they feel like they need to? Okay. Yeah, Project Hope is we've been around for about forty years. We started Project Hope because it was it was there were very few um services that were specifically for pregnant and parenting teens in the city of Chicago or uh, for that matter across the country. And um and it, you know and, and they do have different needs than than um maybe an older an older woman might have. And so Project Hope was started, um, and it, it, it began, it, we had, um, it began on a very small scale, and then we began to get uh, work with Start Early, which mm-hmm. used to be called the Ounce of Prevention, to develop a program that would address the needs of, uh, of young moms and their families. And we started with it's very much strength based, so focusing on the strengths of the fam, the young family, the mom and the father if he's involved, and um, really working on a strength um, kind of uh, model. We're doing a lot of role. The the home visitors do a lot of role uh, modeling and working on making sure they talk about the good things that's going on with the the young family. And, and it it started it's home visiting based, and um, it has we also have groups we have um, parenting groups and prenatal groups and father groups and then we we also part of that is um, 
the the doula program now has been in involved for now about 27 years and then that is where then the the doula starts working with the mom um prenatally where before we had the doula program we would probably get the the young family coming in when their the baby was about a month old and so there's so much um that can be taught during the pregnancy it's such teachable moments that that has really helped um the you know the with the resources for these young families so um it is a it is a comprehensive program and in it so it's it's not just the pregnancy and parenting it also is working on goals of getting back to school if there's any kind of um uh health needs that need to be addressed mental health issues um they have uh referrals for school and and vocational and for uh work sh- you know workforce trainings and and they're really there to um focus on what the needs are to really develop a strong bond between the parent and child and then also help you know build the confidence and empower the young um young parents to look at what they want to do and what their goals are and the program the year it starts at um it's from 12 to 25 um mm-hmm. and the average age is about 15 or 16 that we see um so it's it's very much um based in offering support and the resources that are needed um to to you know to make to work towards self sufficiency. And again, if you want to see a doula story, you can go to Marillac St. Vincent's website at marillacstvincent.org. This is Score Values on 670 the Score. I'm your host Adam Stazinski. Up next, Chicago sports historian Jack Silverstein joined Lawrence Holmes on the Bernstein and Holmes show this past week to discuss the Bears hiring Kevin Warren as their new president and the role that George McCaskey might have played in the evolution of the team when it comes to race. Take us back. Take us back to Bears 100 and yeah. take us back to the unveiling of the throwback uniforms. So that was the summer of 2019. It was, I would say, for the purposes of the team's progression, the absolute worst time that we could happen to have our 100th year celebration because we were coming off the double doink and it like everything was blown up into like we got this you know we got it we're gonna win and championships and everybody on stage and I don't know it just it felt like a lot but while that was happening the big news break was the new throwbacks that they would be wearing uh twice in 2019 and they were the 1936 throwbacks which were very similar to jerseys they wore throughout the 1930s, with the notable exception of the four shoulder stripes, alternating colors, uh, navy and orange, on each shoulder. And that is what made them stand out. They were described at the time as psychedelic stripes that they thought um, would catch the eyes of fans uh, at Wrigley Field in 1936. So they had Kyle Fuller and Tariq Cohen debut them and fashion them, and you know, walk out and introduce them as you do with jerseys. Right around this time was the birthday of Joe Lillard. Joe Lillard was one of the great backs or could have been one of the great backs of the 30s. He spent the 1933 season uh, on the Chicago Cardinals 
And he and a tackle named Ray Kemp had the distinction of being the final black players in the NFL before 1946, before this 12-year ban on black players. And that was a piece of history that I knew about, but it was like smudged. Like I grew up with the, the 75 seasons tape that NFL Films put out in 1994. And they kind of like made mention of it, but you always hear it more from the Kenny Washington side and Woody Strode. Mm-hmm. You hear it from the side of like, these are the guys who, I don't like break the color line. It sounds like breaking the four minute mile. They yeah, like, it, it's, it's like, here's Fritz Pollard. Like it, it's, it's that sort of thing. Yeah, but I don't like that phrasing because you should put the emphasis on the actor. There, there were people who kept them out. They didn't like break a line. So you always hear about it from that end. But I had never heard of Joe Lillard I had ne- or Ray Kemp. I had never heard about the players who were removed in order for it to begin. Yeah, they mentioned Fritz Pollard in 75 seasons. And it's like Fritz Pollard in 1920 and 1921 and then dot, 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 Kenny Washington. So I started reading on Joe Lillard. And because I was thinking about the 1936 jerseys and because George McCaskey made such a big deal repeatedly about these are from this one year. Like we went nine and three in this one year. And it was all this focus on this one year. And I just was thinking about it, and I said, well, those were probably the first two black players to wear the jerseys. And then I started thinking about, you know, George Hallis's role in the NFL at that point and how I had always heard the story of NFL segregation, that it was always just placed upon George Preston Marshall, who was only in his second year as an owner, certainly the leader, um, but wouldn't have been able to, like, overtake everyone if they weren't going along. And so that's where I was thinking about well, George Hallis. He, he was the founding member of the league. He was running the rules committee. He basically told, you know, he helped hire their, uh, their commissioners. He told people what to do, other owners, commissioner of the league. So he had to be involved in this in a pretty heavy way. And that's where that story started taking root. So it was, it was uh, June and I didn't publish until the last week of August because it was just a lot of like covering my bases and figuring out yeah. what exactly was the story here. And, and so you do that. And this is kind of an embarrassing moment for the bears when they offer these jerseys up and you were right. Like these are the, the players modeling the uniforms of the first black players to wear them. What happened after you did your story on it? So we published the story of Windy City Gridiron on August 28th. About a week later, I got a DM from Santita Jackson, who reached out because Reverend Jackson had found the story. And he invited me onto, and Santita, uh, his producer, co-host, and his daughter, they invited me onto Reverend Jackson's show. I think it was September 7th. It was a Sunday morning. And one of the other guests on that show was Jim Rose. And Jim, in those conversations, he didn't know as much about this either. So he was, it was, you know, he was catching up on it as well. And he said, you know, I'm going to bring this into Hallis Hall. Now, I don't know what happened from there. I was never able to talk to Jim. I never heard it from George McCaskey's side. So I don't know exactly what happened. But somehow through that, you know, through those then three weeks before we wore them uh, on the Sunday against Minnesota, 
somehow it became clear that maybe this was a big story or something. You know, honestly, I don't really know. George decided to bring it to the players, and he said, here's what happened. Here's what these jerseys are. And then they put together their video. The, the, yeah, the, five, the, the, the social justice committee plus George McCaskey. And when it came time in the video to actually say what the team had done in the 30s and that they'd participated in this ban in segregation – to George's credit, he said that part of the video. I mean, he didn't leave it to Trubisky or Akeem Hicks or Trevathan or Chase Daniel or um, Trey Burton. He said it. And I was asleep on the couch in between putting the kids to bed and doing dishes. And you texted me and Lester Wilfong, my editor from Windy City Gridiron, texted me and said, look, look at this. Like, have you seen this? I had not seen it. So something in there happened. But, you know, what stands out to me is that there wasn't really like that level of heat. I mean, what brought heat to the story was George doing the video. That's what made it something that people couldn't ignore. You know, the Tribune and Sun-Times covered it the next day or two days later. I did interviews with Sports Illustrated, um, ESPN Radio, Sarah Spain. I did an interview with BBC. I mean, it went national, it went global, and obviously it went to the CBS broadcast. But really, that was George. He you know, I mean, he made that happen. They weren't reporting on my story. They weren't reporting on the controversy. They were reporting on the video. So, Jack, like to, to kind of like bring put a bow on this, what does it say to you that three years ago we have this really embarrassing moment for the Bears, and now we look up at the beginning of the week and Kevin Warren is introduced as the president and CEO. It seems like a seismic change from where we were with the Bears in 2019. Yeah, I think it is. And I was thinking that through and I've been putting together a timeline and it's a timeline that I had in some uh, some degree already put together. And, and I just wanted to expand on it. And I, I think what we've seen here, and this is there's going to be a lot of speculation here from me, and I've got an interview request out to George McCaskey, and I hope to speak with him. But to me, what, I, what it looks like is maybe seven steps or six steps and then an outcome. I think you've got someone who is interested in this kind of progress. You, you look at Tanisha Wade, who was involved in the hiring of Kevin Warren, and Liz Geist, who was involved in the hiring of Kevin Warren. Tanisha Wade, they hired in 2013, Liz Geist in 2014. They also hired Champ Kelly in 2015. I think there was an awakening in 2016 and 2017 with Colin Kaepernick's national anthem protest. And then when President Trump made his big statement, the reporting at the time, and I had to go back to refresh myself on this, was that uh, John Fox and George McCaskey called players in at the hotel. They were getting ready to play Pittsburgh the next day and spoke to everybody and said, you know, we've got your back, whatever it is that you want to do, but we want to do it as a team. Somewhere in there, Sam Acho popped up because Prince of Mukamara talked about, we weren't sure what we were going to do. Sam Acho said the plan is to link arms, and we all went and did that. So then somewhere in there, Sam Acho and George McCaskey then embarked upon this, I don't know, tour of experiences. So over Martin Luther King weekend in 2018, they were at a church. They were at a prison in Louisiana in March of 2018. They did a police ride along. So there was some kind of education and conversation. And George McCaskey gave an interview and he 
talked about that. So I think maybe listening and then responding genuinely when something didn't go right or when someone, you know, expressed something, because I think they just didn't think it all the way through with the jerseys. Mm -hmm. I think because they had the centennial scrapbook that came out that summer that uh, Don Pearson and Dan Pompey wrote and the, the ban and the, and sort of like a light allusion to George Hallis's participation in it is in the book. So I just don't think he thought it all the way through, like, and made those connections of saying, gosh, we've got this story in the book. We know this happened. Now we're going to put out throwbacks from 1936. It's going to be the first ever throwback that we've had that was tied to one specific season, not an era, not like these are the 1940s jerseys. These are the 1920s jerseys. What is it going to say if people start to ask or think about 1936? You know, I just don't think he thought it through all the way. And I think that if presented with a similar scenario today, whatever that would be, I, I suspect he would. He then built structures, 2018 to 2021. And again, let's go back to those three people I mentioned. He promoted Kelly, Champ Kelly in 2017. He promoted uh, Geist and Tanisha Wade in the summer of 2021. And, and they drafted Fields in April. So they drafted Fields in April of 21. They promoted Liz Geist in July of 21. They hired their first ever female scout, Ashton Washington, in August of 21. They promoted Tanisha Wade in September of 21. And then in January of 22, they put Wade and Lamar Campbell on the committee to look into a new general manager and new head coach. So like, and then they, they, they end up hiring Ryan Poles, like building exactly. that structure. That's Chicago sports historian Jack Silverstein on with Lawrence Holmes on the Bernstein and Holmes show this past week. And that's it for this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on a future edition of our show, or if you'd like to share information about an upcoming charitable event, send us an email at scorevalues670 at gmail.com. That's scorevalues670 at gmail.com. I'm Adam Staczynski. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 